So as we continue our series called, I want to draw your attention to three different areas of being called. One is, is that we are called out to faith. And so that whenever you are called to salvation, you're called to this place. And that, as it tells us in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? So that whosoever believes in him shall have eternal life. And it's this idea that God has given a, a call to everyone to salvation. But there is a specific call to salvation as well, that there's that moment when God touches out, reaches out, and speaks directly to your heart. That's called rhema, that he speaks directly to you. And if you've said yes to Jesus, you, you've had that moment where you know that you know that you know that God has spoken to you and has made you aware of the fact of the evil in you and, and who you truly are and that you're not God and that you need Jesus. And so that's the first call, the specific call. That's why I think whenever Jesus called out to Lazarus, whenever he brought him from death to life, because that's what it is whenever we say yes to Jesus, we're being brought from death to life, to walk in a new life, in a new way, that he called out to Lazarus and he said, Lazarus, come out. Because if he had just said, hey, come out, everybody that was dead would have come out. And that would have caused quite the stir, quite the chaos. And so that's the power of Jesus. That's the power of God in his calling out. Whenever he calls out to you, you know it and you're drawn to him. And so that's the first call. Then there's also this call to continue to grow in your walk, in your life, in the Christian life. And so that's what we've been talking about the last four or five weeks are the different areas of where we're called. We're called to community. We're called to, to grow in our faith. We're called to care. And, and so these different aspects of being called in that way that you're moving forward. And again, it's a, it's a specific word to you, and, and it's this journey of growing. And so whenever you are first called to faith in Christ, we call it being justified. That's the word that the New Testament uses it. And so you're in a court of law, and as you're being there, you're saying, hey, listen, all of these things are against me. They're counting the, the stuff against you, all the things that you've done wrong. And so the God says, is this person found right before me? And Jesus stands up and says, listen, all of his sins are put upon me. And therefore, God says, you, Chris, are now justified. It's just as if I had never sinned because Jesus took my place. And so the, in the court of God's law, you are made right through your decision to believe in what Jesus did on the cross. And so in that moment, you're justified and made right through him. And then there, that's a once-in-a-moment time. But from that point, there's also this other thing the New Testament talks about, is being sanctified. It's this working out of your salvation. It's this growing in your faith. And so that's something that happens at that moment, too. So you're justified and you're... Um, sanctified in that moment those things happen right there in that moment and justified is a once once in a lifetime it's right there it happens it's done it's it's over with but then the process of sanctification begins and so you're working out your salvation so that's why it's important for us to be in a biblical community together because we're doing life together and we're growing together and you have your your paul and your timothy there's someone who's gone a little bit before you and they can teach you and grow you and help you and then you're the timothy and you're learning from them and at some point a few weeks, a few months down the road, there's someone else that needs you to be their Timothy, and you're growing in this process and continually moving and sitting at the feet of Rabbi Jesus and growing in what it means to know Jesus and to love like Jesus and to have the, the eyes and the mindset and the thoughts of Jesus. So this idea of justification and sanctification, also at the same time, this really cool idea is glorification. Is that right at that moment that you're justified, you begin the sanctification process, but you're also glorified. And so that as God looks at you, he sees you 
through the eyes of Jesus. And he looks at you and he says, I see the future. I see what the completion, the perfect, what it was going to look like when Chris reaches eternity. Here's the process, the character that's going to be built. And so this is a beautiful idea that we're called to these things and God works these things out in us. And so you're called to faith, you're called to ministry. And then also at some point, at some point for some people, it's this deal where God spoke to me between my junior and senior year, and he'd been dealing with me for a little bit, but at camp between my junior and senior year, I felt a specific call to do this, to be in ministry. And listen, it was not my idea. It was not something that I was excited about, honestly. And I sat down with some of the guys that had mentored me, and I said, listen, I want to be a football coach, or I want to be an orthodontist. And uh, neither one of those sound like preacher, Okay. <laughs> And uh, my mom, I'd grown up in and around church. My mom was a church administrative assistant for a long time. And um, when I told her that I was surrendering to ministry, she cried. Not tears of joy, but tears of pain and anguish. Because she knew, she understood what can happen and what can ministry be like. And, but it's this deal that whenever life and ministry gets extremely difficult and you think, man, I really wish I could go coach and I really wish I could go fix teeth and all that different stuff, that you know that you know that you know that there's nothing else that will bring satisfaction. And so for all of us, there is a call to, to what we're doing and where he wants us to be and that you know that you know you know that this is where you're at. And so this morning we're talking about this idea of continuing to be called, but this further the idea of what it means to be called to care. The idea that we would disadvantage ourselves as followers of Jesus. We would put ourselves at a disadvantage to care for others. Because we're so understanding, we're so sold out to be a follower of Jesus that we understand that there are going to be times where we literally disadvantage ourselves so that we can serve others, so that others can see Jesus in us. And they would go, why would you do this for me? And that the only reason that we would do it for them is because it was done for us through the person of Jesus Christ. That we would serve. As a matter of fact, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. To be or to not be served is the question for us. Whenever we say yes to Jesus, in that moment, our purpose, our identity, and what we're about totally changes. It doesn't become about us, it becomes about everyone else. And that we would disadvantage ourselves so that others can come to know Jesus Christ. Following Jesus' example, we'll see in um, Mark chapter 6, verse 56, that Jesus met the needs of everyone that was hurting. So I'm going to be popping through several different verses, so you can write them down or whatever. And wherever he went, Jesus, into the villages, the towns, or the countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. And the reason they put, put the sick in the marketplaces is because that's where everybody went. So like yesterday when I was driving through town, the square had farmer's market, right? So there's people gathered around in the farmer's market. So imagine the word is Jesus is coming to town. It's farmer's market day. And so they're going to take everybody down that's sick, everyone that needs healing, that's struggling with something, they're going to take them down to the farmer's market and set them out because they know that Jesus and his disciples are going to come by. And that the stories of the healing and the restoration are so powerful, and his teachings are so powerful, that people are like, hey, whenever Jesus shows up, we're going to get to where he's going to be 
Because he's going to gather in the marketplace. And that was typical of Jesus' ministry as a rabbi and typical of other rabbis, as there would be guys that would have their own synagogue, but many of the rabbis would travel from city to city and they would teach in the open places. And so Jesus was following the pattern of the day and he went to the different towns and the different villages and he would show up in the marketplace and he would begin to teach. And as we've seen throughout the New Testament, whenever Jesus teaches, one of the things that he would do is he would pray for the people and he would hug them or touch them and whatever. In the midst of that hugging and touching that he would do, place his hands on someone, there would be healing that would happen. And many times, whenever Jesus would place his hands on someone, it would be someone that was a leper or someone like that. And so they probably hadn't been touched or hugged in months or years because they were considered unclean. Whenever you were sick in that culture, you were considered unclean. And so no one would touch you. So it would be pretty powerful for Jesus to walk up, walk by, and you reach out and he touches you, grabs you by the hand or something, and immediately you are healed. One, there would be, truly there would be healing just from the touch, right? The, the warmth of what it would be like to have been touched for the first time in a long time or someone to hug you whenever you'd been unclean. But then also he physically healed them, and then what would happen spiritually? And so Jesus is walking through the town, walking through the countryside, and as he's, the stories of him coming into town, they would put there and literally... As he would walk through town, he would have his prayer shawl and his cloak, and they would try to grab at the, the hem of his garment because they knew that he was so, so different than any other rabbi that they could just touch his cloak that possibly there would be healing. So Jesus had the eyes and the ability to help those who were in need of hurting. He would also be outside of the realm of what was truly religious of the day, and he would heal on the Sabbath. And there's a, a story in Luke chapter 6 where the religious people are gathered around and they're like, let's go see what this Jesus guy is going to teach on today and what he's going to do. And so again, the rumors are around who is this guy and what are we going to have to do with him? He's, he's bucking the system. And so Jesus is preaching and he's teaching and, uh, in the, in the, around in the synagogue and it's a Sabbath day and one guy walks up and he's obviously, his hand is, is malformed. And so Jesus says, hey, stretch out your hand. And in front of everybody, he stretches out his hand and his hand is healed. So you imagine the crowd's like, whoa, that's cool. Right? That'd be kind of cool if that happened here today. And so this guy opens up his hand and his hand is healed and immediately the religious people, the extreme religious people were upset because he had broken the rules of healing during worship. Why do we go to church? For worship, for healing, for restoration, that's the reason that we even gather, even in, the, in those days, the reason that they gathered, one, is to worship, but to worship because they're saying, listen, because of what God's done for me, He's brought restoration, He's brought healing, or I'm in, the, I'm in the process of healing. This is a hospital for sinners. We're all gathered here, no perfect people. All of us are sick. All of us are struggling. There go my notes. All of us are struggling. And so in the midst of the struggling, we're gathered here for restoration. So we should come here anticipating something happening. The problem is we so many times we've come to church and we don't anticipate anything happening. We're just checking off the list. And so what I love is that on a regular basis here, we're seeing people jumping into baptistry water saying, listen, God's doing something in me. And that's that outward symbol of God changing their heart and changing their life and what God's doing in and through them. You should come to church anticipating to meet with God, anticipating to be restored, not just to check off the box. 
and to look good and to whatever you're going to be doing. And so in Jesus' day, that was the deal, is that they were coming in and they were kind of checking off the box and the religious teachers were really concerned about, do you look right? Do you have all these different things? And Jesus heals somebody in worship and they're mad about it. It would be like someone coming down here and saying, listen, I need Jesus. And we're like, it's 10.30. We need to do that at 11.30. Kind of silly, right? That's kind of what happened. Is it okay if I step down here? To be or to not be served. There was healing. Then also, the next thing that Jesus was doing is in uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. If you have your Bibles turned there, this is pretty graphic. Everything that he did that he served was from a heart and a motive of compassion. Matthew chapter 9, look at verse 35 through 38. Jesus went through all the town and villages. Again, it's just the habit of rabbis and a particular Jesus. Teaching in their synagogue. So he's teaching the leaders, people hearing him. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Now this idea of compassion is one of Literally, his bowels were moved. That's kind of a powerful word. And some of you, if you've been and you've had your bowels move, you understand that that can be a painful experience. And so it's this idea, literally, of there's an intestinal thing that's happening. It kind of wraps up your intestines and you're nervous, you're anxious, you've had one of those meals. I don't know. It's just this thing of there's something deep within inside of you that's happening. And so Jesus looks out and he sees the crowd and something deep within inside of him begins to move. And here's why. Because they were harassed. And when you see that word harassed, you think, okay, I've been harassed. But literally, put in your Bibles, write a note, harassed here means a mangled corpse. A mangled corpse. When he looks out on the crowds, he sees a mangled corpse. Someone who's been harassed and someone who's helpless. Someone who's been mortally wounded. So Jesus in this moment, as He's doing ministries, He's going from town to town and village to village. He looks out on the crowds and He has deep movements with inside of Him. He's had this compassionate for them because He looks out over them and He sees a battlefield of those that are mangled corpses and those that are mortally wounded and that the spiritual leaders have left them. So He's walking into these places that are supposed to be churches and synagogues that are supposed to be these spiritual things are supposed to be happening. He looks out over the crowd and he says, oh my gosh, he sees with God's eyes and he sees these mortally wounded people, these, these mangled corpses, and they're like sheep without a shepherd. No one's helping them. So imagine we are in a battlefield and war is happening and there's this, bodies are strewn everywhere and the general's like, we're out. Get out of here, get out of here. And they're not taking their people and that's exactly the image that God has. Jesus in this moment, He's saying, listen, we care, we bring our wounded, we're all wounded, we're all hurt, we're all deep in pain. All of us have some level of pain and struggle, and that as Jesus looks out over the crowd, He sees the mortally wounded and the mangled corpse, and there's nothing else He can do but be moved on the inside and say, these people need Me. They need the Father. When we go to work, what do we see? Do we see those that are in pain? Do we see the lonely? When we go to school, what do we see? Do we see those that are lonely? Do we see those that are in pain? Do we see those that are struggling with our identity and and struggling with who we are and 
understanding of even looking into their eyes and realizing, hey, that their home life is not our home life. My, their normal is not my normal. And are we willing to, to get in and literally with the mangled corpses and those that are mortally wounded, are we ready to have that type of compassion to say, listen, I'm going to do whatever I can to step down out of where I'm at in my coziness and to get into their mess because that's mess, right? And I'm going to grab them out and bring them to safety because I want them to understand that I have compassion on them because Jesus had compassion on me in that moment and I want them to have life everlasting, life to the fullness. Because in those moments... Talk to people that have been in this moment where you've been shot or you've been something like that. The one thing that you're craving is you're wanting water. And so we understand that we bring living water in these moments. We have something, even Jesus, when he was on the cross and he was dying, he said, I am thirsty. And they gave him something to drink. And so in these moments, people are crying out and they're saying, listen, I'm thirsty. I need what you've got. We're bringing living water. Will you please, please bring this to me? And so many times we're passive. We don't want to engage because we're afraid of what someone will say, what someone will think, what someone will do. And God's saying, listen, I want you to have my eyes and to care like I care. I want you to see your neighbors like I see your neighbors. That you gather here on Sunday, anticipate that on Monday that you're going into a battlefield and you have a war to fight. That's why Paul says, says to us, gird up yourself, get ready for battle, put yourself on ready for the battle because the battle's happening. And it's extremely easy in American culture to forget that until something like happens on Monday. And then we're reminded of the depravity and the evilness that our neighbors and even ourselves struggle with. And this is what Jesus sees, is that there are mangled corpses that need us to get in the middle and to be paramedics and EMTs and to pull people out and to be a part of the life-saving venture. There is no plan B. It's us. We are plan A to jump into that. And listen, it's scary. It is super scary. But God's going to take care of us to be or to not be serving. Look over in verse, or at the end of that verse, he says, you know, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. In other words, as we look out over and we see those that need, we need to be praying and asking God who can be a part of this. I see the need. I'm going to jump out in here, but there needs to be more than me. There's more than what I can personally do. We need to, to gird up an army of people to go out here and to be a part of this saving process. And then look at verse chapter 10, verse 1. Many times what we pray about, we're actually the answer to it. He called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal disease and to sickness. Basically saying, listen, you've prayed for it, you're about the prayer, but you're also the answer to the prayer. Get out there. I give you my authority. You are on mission. As a disciple of Jesus, you are on mission, and your mission is to get out and to move and to be moved with compassion. Matthew chapter 28 kind of reminds us of this passage, that therefore I've been given all authority under heaven and earth. Therefore you, us, Go and make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them until they, all the ends of the earth. And then the very last thing that Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, He says, You, us, will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. In Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. You are my witnesses. You are my plan A. That You are on mission. You're the ones. When you say yes to Jesus, you've been given a higher call. Forsake being passive. 
and engage those around you who need it. Now, one of the shows that some of you grew up with, I got to see reruns, was Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Any of y'all remember that? How many of y'all are going to admit you, you saw it the first time? Yeah, all right, Chris, I saw you. All right. You got to watch Mr. Neighbor's Neighborhood. And, and so one of the things about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, he, he was proactive about finding out who his neighbors were and getting to know them and, and engaging them, having them over and going over, and he would talk. And that's our deal. God did not make a mistake by putting you where you're at. Listen, some of you are praying for a better job or a different job. You're praying about a different house, better house. You're praying for whatever it is you want your situation to be better, and you're like, there's no way that I should be in this situation. Listen, God has placed you where he's placed you for a reason. He did not make a mistake. So in that place, instead of looking for outs, look for opportunities. Instead of looking for outs in the places that you're at, look for opportunities to engage those that are mortally wounded, that are mangled corpses, and have compassion. Begin to say, God, I need to have the eyes that you have and the move with compassion that you've had so that we can be the neighbors that we need to be. To be followers of Jesus, there's few things that we're supposed to be doing. And the first thing is to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and with all our mind. In other words, with all of our being. And because of we're doing that, that we begin to love our neighbors. Begin to see them with God's eyes and say, listen, as I worship you, God, I begin to see my neighbors as they truly are. I begin to see the pain. I begin to see the loneliness. I see the mangled bodies and the corpses. And I cannot allow my neighbors to continue to live like that. I want to jump in to the midst. Are you my neighbor? Some places for us to have everyday compassion and caring is one in the home. If you don't think you're selfish, get married. If you don't think you're selfish, get married. Guys, it took us probably 15 minutes before we realized how selfish we were, right? You got married and your wife said, "Mm mm-hmm. It is easy. Have kids. Realize how selfish you are. It's easy for us. Begin in that place at home. Where can you begin to care and to move off of your selfishness? What about your neighbors? Pulling up your neighbor's trash can, finding out where, when they're gone, how can you help them, and begin to just practical things, be able to, to care for your neighbors and to love on them. Even in your place of work. Have you ever thought about your place of work as a place of worship? Your place of work is a place of worship. That Are you living life upward? Are you helping the people around you see who Jesus is in you and the way that you care for them, the way that you talk to them, and the way that you serve them and love on them and care for them, or is it just a job? I would challenge you, if you're at a place where work is just work and you just kind of go in and you do the grind and you do your thing and you check the deal and you go off, begin to just pray, hey, God, I want this to be a place, become a place of worship. Just as much as Sunday or Wednesday or my life group that I anticipate meeting you, I want to anticipate when I go to work on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday that I can meet with you and to do worship, even in the small things for us to be about worship. And then also in church, that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples that he served and he served those. And then in 1 Peter chapter 3 and 4, he talks about us using our gifts. Listen, it's real easy to come to a place like this and to see people greeting and to take part in a group or take part in a Sunday school class or to enjoy coffee and to not really contemplate even how that happens and how that gets done and how worship happens. And so I would just challenge you, if you're new around here, some of you are new and 
begin to think about how can I get engaged? How can I come apart of this place as we try to care about the community, we try to care about one another, as it is a body of Christ and we need the feet, we need the hands, we need everybody doing what they're gifted and called to do and they enjoy doing and to jump into that boat and to jump into the boat and begin doing what they're called to do. My prayer for us and my prayer for me, it's easy to get caught up in the busyness of what we do. On Monday, you've already got your schedule. When I say Monday, you're already clicking off. I've got to get up. I've got to go work out. I've got to do this. I've got to make the kids lunches. I've got to go. And so you've already got this stuff. And so my prayer for me, but also for you, is that you begin to just say, hey, listen, God, tomorrow when I get up, may I have Jesus' eyes. May I just, for that moment, as I walk in to my workplace, as I walk into school, as I work in, walk into wherever I go for the day, May I have those eyes and see the pain, the loneliness. Listen, it breaks you when you begin to see people, when you begin to look in their eyes and say, God, where are they at? And you begin to see those things. Here's the deal is when you begin to ask that and pray that, God will begin to reveal that to you. It's like don't pray for patience if you don't want to work through having patience because you'll have the opportunity to grow in patience if you pray for it. So don't, don't pray for it if you don't want it. Okay, But listen, I pray that we are a community here at Second Baptist that is marked by our caring. And I believe that we already are, but that we can easily forget that. That we are called to care and that we are marked by jumping into people's messiness and helping them and pulling them out to safe place so they can be revived and have new life because they're thirsty. Let's pray together. Dearly Father, thank you that you've pulled us to safety. We said yes to you, that you've had compassion upon us. And because of that great compassion, you went to the cross and said, this is for you. And that, Father, that if we have, have received that and said yes to that, that we have new life that we've been justified. It's just as if I've never sinned. We're being sanctified. And Father, as you look at us, we're already glorified. Father, thank you for the call upon the lives in this room. Thank you for what you're doing in this church and in this community. And Father, thank you for these young people who have said yes to you and are looking forward to what you're going to call them to do. I pray that one or two or three in that group and maybe they're called to ministry. Father, maybe they're called to be a pastor. Maybe they're called to be a missionary to Africa. Father, that may we be a church that's a sending place, not just a gathering place. For the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. May you send from this place. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.